0: Hannah, hi, how are you doing?
1: Hello, uh, I'm good, thanks, how are you?
0: Yeah, very well, thank you, very well. Nice to see you here.
1: Yes, thanks for having me on.
0: And um, just before we started recording, I was, I was just commenting, because I, I thought you were still in your clinic, and I hope you didn't take that the wrong way.
1: No, not at all, I'm, I'm quite proud of my uh, <laughs> art.
0: Um, yeah, well, t- tell us about that picture.
1: So it was a present from my dad. I think he found it. I, I don't know quite where, but it's a uh, it's a very old sort of anatomical picture of the human body. But it, it's actually it looks like a print, but it's on very sort of old brown paper. Um, I love it. I've had it for years and it follows me, <laughs> follows me wherever I move. <laughs> Pride of place.
0: Well, it has. It has got a very central place there um, in, in your lounge. <laughs> Yes. Um, how often do you go closely to to look at it to remind yourself of, of bony names and muscular names?
1: Yeah, uh, often. <laughs> no, it's it's. Uh, I tell you, the the text is very small actually, so uh, not not the easiest to read. So just a just a good visual.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. All right. So listen, um, I I first came across you um i think through the online physios group which has been gathering momentum some some excellent work there and and saw what you're up to and you you kindly wrote a blog as well yes <laughs> remember that um so that that was great so really i wanted to know a little bit more about what you're what you're doing and then we can explore how you how you got there and mm. um, and as you know this this is called the positive encouragers podcast and uh, and the people that come on are people who are doing things differently doing things their way but but ultimately are encouraging others to um to do things and to take the mantle and and run with it and so when it comes to physios um and maybe some other clinicians that i'll i'll talk to um i was, I was thinking of a word and this word that kept coming to me was carvers do you, do you know what carvers
1: car- no, <laughs> tell
0: me. But they're a type of ski
1: Okay. and,
0: and a carver, well, obviously carves through snow. And, and when I sort of see your work, um, I just sort of see this sort of carving through. This is your niche and, and taking it forward in a really valuable area. So, like so that. why don't we start with that then? Tell us a bit about what you get up to on a day to day basis.
1: So my full-time job is actually in a hospice. So I work as a physio in a in London hospice. Um, and I love that, that's great. Um, I really enjoy the work I do there. And that that's really quite varied actually. A lot of people when I tell them where I work are confused or not sure why a physio would, would be there um, and what my job entails. So um, yeah, it can be anything really because of course, all, people from all backgrounds, all ages, find themselves in, in these situations. And, and that's what I sort of try and do through my work is just remember that it could be anybody. It could be, you know, myself, it could be a friend of mine and, um, who doesn't expect to be there. So how, how would I want to be treated and, and that sort of thing. So we do have a lot of very, uh, active people there. Um, that I do a lot of gym work with and quite sort of high energy, high functioning, um, uh, physio, you know, in the way you would imagine, Um, but while also uh, when people are approaching the end of their life, taking uh, more care around, making sure they're comfortable and making sure that things that they want to do before they they do die, that we've considered those and asked them directly if there's anything that they want, because it's surprising. A lot of people, I think, do take to their beds because they think that's what's expected of them or or that's what they, they should be doing or... I'm not sure, it might be the environment. So my job, I, I just try and promote a sort of more modern way of looking at a hospice, I suppose, that's that's my take on it. And that's why I try and bring to my work. So that's my day job. Um, and then alongside that, uh, it was actually in January last year um, was when I finally, I'd been thinking about it for about a year and I finally, did it last year was set up my own sort of side business that was uh physiotherapy online for people with cancer um and i i did that because i just recognized that there was so much in such a lottery in terms of who had what available to them depending on where they lived and and all those sorts of things so um that's where the idea came from um and i i also recognised that physio online a lot of people weren't too sure about or had, uh, were a little bit sceptical about. And then, of course, COVID's happened. So, in a way, that has actually made people a lot more tech-friendly and it, it's been helpful in some ways.
0: So you've you managed so, to shift some of, some of your – or, or all of your practice to online? So I didn't have
1: a practice before, actually. It was a sort of a new – completely new thing I didn't have um and I think that's what I've seen is a lot of people with that had their own practices already have been taking it online whereas mine mine didn't exist (laughs) it was no um I just knew there was a lot of people out there that that was sort of through my my previous job I worked at Royal Marsden Hospital so another London London Cancer Hospital and again just recognized we've got people from all over the place coming to see us and i recognized the irony in that sometimes that people would be coming for physio, you know, for advice around feeling fatigued and breathless and what they could do to help manage that. But they were traveling a two hour <laughs> round trip to get there. And it, it just didn't make sense to me. And I thought there's, there's gotta be a better way of doing this. And of course, in the NHS, there's a lot of things you have to do before you can offer new services like that. So I just kind of went off piste at that point. And thought so I'm going to do it myself um, and see what happens. Uh, but yes, that's been a learning curve because I just thought I've got a, I've got a laptop, I'll just start an online business. So there's a whole lot more to it than that. So it took a little while to set up, but it's going well.
0: So you, you persevered clearly um, in a mm. really important area, an area that might surprise some people, that, that as you said, the physio would, would work in. What, in. In setting up your own practice, what have been the greatest challenges that you've faced?
1: Um, I think just just getting the ball rolling initially was, you know, and it it was still in very early stages. It's only just been a year that I've been doing it. So I think I found that I've almost, and that's why I've taken to social media a little bit and tried to to promote myself that way, because I found that even people with cancer aren't sure what physio can offer them. Um, You just assume everyone knows but you know I think back to before I worked in this job I didn't know what physios in cancer did until I've done it and I've and I've realized so um I found that the the blogs that I've done and the the, um online platform I'm trying to build every time I put something up to say oh hey physio can actually help with this I get people messaging me saying oh I have that I didn't know it could be helped I didn't know anything could be done I've been just putting up with it for months years um so that's brilliant I mean that's exactly why I set it up um so it's great to to, to sort of get that feedback from people that are actually going through it and think oh good I I didn't just make that up there is a need <laughs> um yeah,
0: yeah. Are, so are you seeing cool. some some common needs that, that you're able to meet as a physio
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, a lot of what I see um, tends to be breast just because it comes with, you know, breast cancers and the treatment that they have. It it comes with a sort of shoulder dysfunction and neck pains and all those types of things months and even years afterwards sometimes. So um, that's something I see quite commonly, Uh, but I do try and be very thorough and, you know, make sure I'm the right person for them to be speaking to of course because you, you know some people do need face to face this isn't something that completely replaces all physiotherapy not at all but um, I just knew there's a little little pocket of people that just weren't able to reach what they needed so just obviously everyone can get to the internet generally speaking so start there
0: <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and and I mean going into that little more detail about you know, the needs of the people that that come to see you, what, you know, what, what sorts of things would we see you doing?
1: So, of course, with the video, I can see physically see people, I can sort of do assessments of limbs and joints and things if that's needed. But a a huge amount of it is, is almost coaching style. Um, And that, again, was, was sort of the, the type of People I had in mind when I when I thought about this, and um, thinking that there's so many people that are perfectly capable, and you know have lots of motivation and and goals, and actually they just they just don't know if it's safe to do that, or and no one's told them, or they haven't asked, or they're not sure who to ask. So um, actually, a lot of it is, is is just talking and giving people the confidence to say, hey, no, that's actually great that you want to do that. That's going to be really beneficial for you for all these reasons so um yeah and that's yeah again probably away from the traditional view of physio because you think it has to be hands-on and it has to be this and it has to be that but actually I find people come to me with that expectation they know that's not going to happen because we're on other sides of a screen so that's sort of already taken away there's no um no misunderstanding your expectation that it's going to be passive it's going to be very active and i'm just going to help you to to do whatever it is that you want to do
0: yeah yeah so you you sort of gravitated use the word coaching you've gravitated towards that style um and yeah obviously hands-on is not possible via via the via the screen (laughs) Um, how long would you say you've been sort of working in that way or is it just sort of slowly evolved? What's how's that happened?
1: I think yeah, I think it's slowly evolved. Um, I think uh, the part of my role in palliative care as well in in the hospice, a lot of that seem is is about I find a lot is talking as well. So I, I feel like my job has morphed from you know previous jobs I've done. I've been very hands on in intensive care and very acute settings, and then suddenly found myself in these settings where actually a lot of it is is talking um, and their skills I'm constantly developing, but I think, yeah, absolutely. I feel it in both my jobs really. It is just trying to get to the, the crux of what someone wants, what what they need and and then trying to give it to them in a way that that suits them. Cause not everyone's the same and you're not just gonna tell someone what to do and they're gonna do it perfectly. And that's the end of it. That's, that's why they need, you know, we all do that follow up and that reassurance and someone saying hey you're doing great don't you know don't worry um because because of the way the services are you you don't always get that follow-up it's sort of one or two appointments you're given the information and you're sort of sent on your way so it's not necessarily that people don't have the information it's just processing it and getting into new habits and finding ways of doing things that work for them as well
0: yeah yeah Mm so I mean you're you're style of of empathy really comes across which I'd imagine is very important in in these conversations what what other kinds of skills and things are you thinking about when you're developing your ability to communicate
1: Mm. I think I think I always just bear in mind as I mentioned earlier just thinking how I would talk if it was a you know someone I knew or what Uh, just trying to be as approachable as possible to to get to the middle of what's what's going on quicker I suppose because I think it's it's really easy to go in with this plan of what what we know might help or how it's going to work and just go in and sort of (laughs) spill that out onto someone and say if you do all these things all your problems will go away and that's that's firstly not necessarily true and secondly it's not always helpful because you haven't presented it to that person in a way that, that that is digestible for them, or work or suits them. So, um, definitely, I think working out how to adapt your style of communication is so important. Um, and I get, you know, the amount of people we see every day in my day job, you get quite good at sort of working out how people communicate. If there's someone that just needs direct, no fluff, clear instructions, <laughs> this is what this is what you need. I'll give you the space to do it. Give me a shout if you need me. Or someone that really needs to be. Explained exactly why something works. And so you're not going to have one start that just suits absolutely everybody. And that's so important. And sometimes I find myself with people almost having sort of one or two sessions that are mainly just rapport building, knowing that actually, if we invest that time early on, then that's going to have a bigger benefit further down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you, I feel like if you just rush into something, you just lose that trust straight away and you know they're not going to value necessarily what what you have to offer them so yeah so i find that i i used to do um i only stopped it recently but i did it for about four or five years a, a voluntary role for Macmillan. it was online on um platform called ask an expert and i i started doing that when i first started my band six job um and it was just an online platform again where people could write questions and then i would reply and it would all be physio related um and that, again, I found really, really interesting in terms of the communication, because you haven't got haven't got someone sat in front of you, you've got no body language, you've got no tone of voice. So it was, you know, being really careful and uh, the words I use, because you're wanting to empower people, you're not trying to terrify people, but also being honest and not, you know, not avoiding important things. You know, there are risks sometimes with exercise, if you've got certain uh, diagnosis, if you've got. Uh, bone metastases, for example it's really important that we we tell people you know hey these this is what could happen but actually the benefits are this you're not scaring the <laughs> Jesus out of someone um, which does tend to you know we see it and people have said oh i asked someone three years ago if i could do that i was told no and i've never done it again and you think no <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> yeah. so uh yeah
0: so how, how do you unpick that then? So you know you know that it's okay for someone to do a particular thing and they've said, oh no, no, I was I was told I I couldn't do that. Mm. How do you deal with depends
1: that? depends what it is. I think it, I'll often sort of just try and talk through, get to what what would the worst case scenario be, what it, and then sort of work back from there, really, because it's I think it's so easy to catastrophize things. And yes, in theory, if you if you stay in bed and you don't move, you probably won't do any damage but why would you have so much cancer treatment to prolong your life and then you know do not do what you want to do so it's about adding length and quality to the life so that's sort of um the most important thing but obviously when you look back historically traditionally people did rest you would sort of tuck people up and you tell them to rest and do no harm and keep them safe and and actually you could switch it and say we're almost doing more harm sometimes by by taking that power away from people and not not giving them the tools they need to to just carry on living their life um so yeah so it's sort of helpful to work backwards a little bit and just try and but it is hard you're almost rewriting a belief you know a belief that they've they've had and Often people do doctor, you know, doctor's word is final and it is, it is, quite hard and sometimes you do have to really do some convincing, mm.
0: um,
1: as to why it's beneficial that examples like, you know, with lymphedema, if you have breast cancer and lymphedema, it, you've been told, don't do any heavy lifting of any kind. Then people are going around doing one armed things for, for years so as not to, to do anything. And actually the research doesn't support that. That's not necessarily true. So, um, people do after breast cancer do get back to weightlifting or you know classes or just holding their kids or whatever it is um so it's so important to to make sure that what we're, we're saying is actually backed up with with the science
0: yeah yeah you i mean you hit on some really big areas there and, and you mentioned earlier about you know taking on a role and and the fact that you know, in a in a hospice, you you know, you've got a room which is basically a bed with maybe a chair. If you're in mm-hmm. hospital, it's you've got a bed and a chair. So there's there's a big implication there, isn't there, that, that you should mm-hmm. rest, you should lie down, um and, yeah. and we'll do stuff for you, we'll we'll nurse for you, and and yeah. that kind of thing. And and that's been the model. And it's very powerful still. There's very strong messages. And as healthcare professionals, we're all pretty much taught that we, we fix people, we fix problems. And, and I think it is slowly dawning more and more on people that that's not actually what we do and that doesn't work at all. We can't tell people what to do. So we can have the knowledge and say, hey, look, it's fine for you to move your arm around, um, but you can't just tell them, we've got to have that conversation to help them come up with that.
1: Yes, absolutely. It sounds
0: very much that's your approach.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think exactly that. You, you If you go in and you dictate and you tell this, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. If someone came to me and said, you've got to do this, it, unless it rings true in, in your life and actually means something to you. You know, you've got to find that thing that it ties into to say, look, if you do this and actually it makes, you know, that thing that you care about a lot. That's why it's relevant to you. <laughs> Yeah. And then that's often enough for some, you know, for to make that change for someone to say, oh, yeah, that's that's right. Actually, that would be much easier. That would make my life easier or that would be helpful. Um, And I think it's really important to frame it that way, because, again, as physio, you know, we're really objective and we're looking at this and that. And if we say, yeah, if we strengthen your, you know, we strengthen this a bit, then it means that you've got, you know, we talk about it objectively. That doesn't mean anything to someone whereas if we say look if we do these exercises then what it means is actually that you could get down the front steps outside your house and you can go out with your your friend or your your grandson or whatever it is whatever is important to them and just reframing it that way because otherwise it it, it's meaningless
0: yeah yeah so you're you're really attaching the outcome with with values what what's important Mm -hmm. to that to that person perhaps even without using the word I mean the word outcome I mean when you when you say that to people it's this sort of clunky language what? clinical language that we use as opposed yeah. to just normal having normal conversations about about change exactly.
1: exactly that's it I think and that's the thing I always come back to just keeping it a normal conversation just speaking to them like a an, another person which they are instead of just medicalizing everything and and talking in your own language sort of that medical jargon we don't even realize we do it sometimes and i've had so again so many stories of patients that you know weeks and months down the line they've misunderstood something that someone said because they've said it in a term or a way that wasn't wasn't they didn't understand um and and then it's resulted in you know avoidance of something particular or or vice versa so um, yeah, so just making sure I'm checking back with them. I often sort of just try and go back and forth to make sure I've understood what they're telling me <laughs> yeah. and make sure that they've, you know, has what I've said made sense to you. Does that sound like something that would be helpful? If not, is there something else? Is there another way of doing it? So, cause otherwise it's very easy. I think just to launch down some treatment plan and plow towards the end and actually, is that helpful?
0: Yeah. So, so you'll reflect back to them and summarize, and then that gives them the chance to kind of go, "Oh, yeah, yeah, that's or no, that's not what I meant at all." Yeah,
1: <laughs> which they do sometimes, and then but then it just shows that it was worth checking. Say, <laughs> so, no, that's that's actually not that important to me. And you've somehow along the way, you know, put words in people's mouths, or you've you've asked open, ed, you know, a sort of uh, closed questions, or sort of led someone to sort of say, "Yeah, that's that's important to me," but actually, you didn't give them a chance to say something else is much more important yeah.
0: um,
1: and then it kind of leads you down the wrong path a little.
0: Yeah. And and people would really appreciate you taking that time to ask them that question. So knowing that you're there for them and, and caring and showing caring. So if you, if you do get it wrong in your summary, it, it really, it doesn't matter at all that you've got it wrong. Mm. Because ultimately you're there discussing what's important to them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So actually, like we were talking about earlier, I then find that you know these video calls I'm doing they end up being mostly talking because actually you do end up a lot of the problems you can <laughs> come up with resolutions that way, and you don't even need to lay a hand on someone because um, they're able to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. When? What? What? How? How many? How many years have you been qualified now?
1: Um qualified in 2013 so seven or so
0: okay plus obviously three years of, of training yes. so we're talking about yeah. 10 years in the job going yes. if, you, if you were to be talking to you know the you that started that back then mm. do you think that you would be surprised at how you're working now as a physio
1: yeah absolutely I mean I'd be surprised I'm doing this because I had the worst fear of public speaking as I know a lot of people do, but off off the scale, I would be, I, I remember, when was it, it was probably October time, and we were told, at the end of this year, you'll have to do a presentation, and I remember in that October, <laughs> when the presentation was in June, trying to find a way of convincing my lecturer, if I could, I do an essay, or could I do something else, because I just can't, I can't do that, um, so this alone, you know, being on speaking uh, to people and um I've done sort of guest lectures and I've done I've done all sorts of bits and pieces I kind of just will say yes to anything at this point because I, I just find it um I love it and I just like to talk talk about my job and I think the more we talk about it the more people you know realize what physio can offer them and I know we mentioned physios online earlier and the work they're doing and I know they're doing sort of a campaign at the moment to to try and change people's perception of physio and like I said, when people, you know, with cancer don't even know what physio can offer them, I think, oh, we're not doing our job properly. We're not we're not sort of waving our flag enough because this is why people are are, are not getting the information that, that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think I'd be really surprised. Um, I always knew I wanted to work in cancer. I think though that was something I always had in my head and. I knew I wanted to work at the, at the Royal Marsden where I worked before. I remember just as soon as I was qualified, just constantly refreshing that NHS jobs page, waiting, waiting for that five rotation. So I think I had a clear idea of sort of what I wanted to do, but I never, I never thought about starting my own business or anything like that. I don't think. Um, Although, you know, I come from a family, my dad has lots of businesses. so I think that's always kind of been there in the background. So um, it made sense when I thought of the idea that 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 was just how it was going to go. But, yeah, it was never sort of part of the grand plan, if you will.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, at what point did you think, right, I I want to work in, in cancer?
1: Um, I think like a lot of people, you know, um, my granny had cancer. So as a child, I was sort of, um, aware of it, exposed to it. She had it for 10 years and she was treated at the Marsden. So that's always been again, there in the background. Um, and my family, we've got a huge Irish family. We would have big family parties every summer to raise money for the Marsden call them mm-hmm. our pink parties. We, we still do them now. They're fantastic. Um, so yes. So I think it, it when I look back, it was all sort of channeling towards what I'm doing now, really. But, um, it wasn't necessarily a conscious thing. Uh, and my granny was a nurse. So I I always knew I'd work in healthcare, but I, I'd never, as a teenager thought about physio, it kind of happened by accident. And it's one of those sliding doors things. I think, thank goodness that happened. because I was, you know, moments away from, from doing completely different courses and a billion different things. So, um, I'm very glad it's panned out this way
0: what what were your other options
1: um i i applied to do well i think I'd, i decided doctor in my head at the age of i don't know 14 50 i thought nurse or doctor doctor and then i didn't get my chemistry <laughs> great uh and then i sort of ruled out all science i thought i'm never doing science again <laughs> so i went to english and i applied to do english Uh, And I sent all the the applications off and things like that. And I think I then just thought, what what will I do after that with with my degree? Would I be a teacher? It's really hard, isn't it, at that age? I feel so sorry when making these huge decisions. I remember just looking down the UCAS book, all the different careers, thinking which one, just gonna pluck one, which one will I do? So I I looked at all sorts. I sort of went to all around the UK to all the different unis, looking at archeology, span forensic science, everything, history. Um, And then I went to a physio one and I thought, yeah, I could do that. Why not?
0: (laughs) what was it that attracted you? Pardon? What what was it that attracted you? Um,
1: I think of course it was the science. I'm very science minded. So I I, I think, aside from my strop, I knew I was going to (laughs) work in science. But I think it was the the, the sort of human element and helping people, and I think I just didn't quite realise that you there was all these different disciplines in healthcare. Um, I just again was that sort of doctor nurse that uh, old model we were talking about, and then I thought, oh, physio could could work. Um, yeah, so I think it was it was it was that really that you could work with people. And then I, again, at that point, I didn't know where I would work. It was, um, you do all your different rotations, don't you, as a student. And again, even though I had sort of known about wanting to work at cancer, when I actually did my oncology placement, which you know was actually quite niche, not many people get that. And I didn't request it. It, it just sort of fell in my lap. And again, I thought that's another sliding doors moment where I, I was thinking, oh God, I really don't want to do that placement. It's going to be so hard. Um, and I loved it, but it, it was hard. Um, but yeah, again, I'm really glad that that happened. And it's funny, again, I cross um, I, uh, a few of my other voluntary roles. I am sit on the committee for ACPOC, which is the Association of Chartered Physios in Oncology and Palliative Care. i have a mouthful, but um, so I'm on the committee for that. And some of the other people there were my supervisors when I was a student in in that cancer centre I worked at. So it's funny that sort of rounding off of the circle where you go hey remember me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you must have been a pretty good mentor <laughs>
0: did, they, did they remember you
1: yeah 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 so it's quite nice that um to to think at that time I didn't know that this is where I, I didn't think I'd see you again and then here we both are doing very similar things of all these years later so yeah and,
0: and so, what yeah. Kind of work is that committee doing
1: um we So it's a sort of a members group where all physios in obviously oncology and palliative care keep in touch and network and we share sort of all the evidence and we usually, obviously not this year, have study days peppered throughout the year um, talking about all different topics. So it's it's quite nice because you often find in those niche groups, especially palliative care and hospices, there'll sometimes be just one physio or OT sort of sat in a a hospice. (laughs) It can be quite know it's a good a good uh, platform to bounce your ideas off people and and have other people to to go to so um yes and my role is the membership secretary which is uh, a very manual um excel spreadsheet just trying to manage so again a lot of skills i've learned um yeah slowly my tech skills are coming on we're trying to we're trying to uh, design a new website and get things a little bit automated so all my work that I've actually done in my own side business is coming quite helpful now, sort of designing these websites and things like that that I've never done before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess you're, you're wanting to recruit. Me? Well, as in recruit members for the, for that.
1: Oh work. yes. That I, yeah. <laughs> Always. Um, yes. If anyone's listening.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, this, this is it, isn't it? Because And, and, you know, how much opportunity do you get as a as a group or and even as an individual to to talk to students um physio students to say hey look you know this is this is a career pathway here
1: yeah um not often i do actually get quite a few messages on instagram from students and um i love that i love it when we have students that work at the hospice and um yeah, no, it, uh, that's, and I think it's so important, because again, I, it's something that I didn't really realise, and unless you're sort of luck of the draw, you get put into one of these placements, you you might not even really know it's an option, and it's not necessarily a standard rotation you would do, you know, you do the orthopaedics, you do the MSK, you do the respiratory, but um, whenever I get a chance to talk to, to students, I, I always sort of try and sell it because I think it's, it's all those things, you know, I could have done rotations forever because I loved all the different rotations. I loved the orthopedics, I loved respiratory. Every rotation I did, I was like, yeah, I'll stay here. And then I'd go to the next one. I think, oh no, I like this as well. And oncology, it's all of those things, you know, you you can get someone with respiratory, you know, they'll have a lung cancer, but then they've also got, you know, bone involvement. So it's, it's sort of orthopedics mixed with respiratory. And um, sometimes, it, you know, they have cancer but actually all their problems are more mske so it's very outpatient sort of base so it's so varied and that's that's why it's so great that <laughs> some people don't don't get a chance to, to know that so i did do a as i said a guest lecture recently at um was at kingston university i think and that was the first time i've done something like that um and i try and when we get opportunities to go into other hospitals and things like that to teach the band fives um, about, and I always say to students and, and some sort of junior physios, even if you have no interest in working in oncology, you will be working with people with cancer because one in two people get it. So even if you're on an orthopedic ward or an MSK outpatient, and I know I was guilty of it when I was more junior, you'd sort of look through the past medical history and you'd see prostate cancer or this and that, and you just, oh, that's not relevant to their chest infection, or that's not relevant to this. And you'd overlook it, but then when you're on the other side of it and you, you, you realise why these people are going, um, they're in and out all the time and it's such a journey that, that, you know, such a long path that they're on that giving them the opportunity to ask these questions that we were talking about earlier earlier on before they get to a palliative care or, you know, it's so important.
0: Yeah, I, I think that the... The old sort of past medical history box on on the sheet is, is often just sort of list of, of things yeah 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 but this is, yeah. this is someone's life story and and actually you know hearing their their long narrative rather than just sort of homing in on a bit of the body that hurts or something else mm. um is is the only way that we should be doing it
1: we, i we think so yeah the
0: person so again you know your your initial conversations with with people that that you meet must be must be quite lengthy
1: yes <laughs> absolutely and it, it's good i think people appreciate being given that platform to 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 say that because again i think sometimes if you go in with that fixed idea like you said that's what's hurting so that's what we're going to talk about actually you miss all the thing the other things that might have actually contributed to that in the first place
0: yeah yeah.
1: You know, they might, you know, they might have a painful ankle because they fell over because they've got, you know, brain, something, in you know, if it's a brain tumour, they, they all, they're also linked.
0: Yeah.
1: They, I, I don't think you can just hone in on one thing. So, but people do, and I did, and I look back and I think, oh, i feel so awful about it. But so that's why I think it's so important to try and get these messages across as early as possible to students and, and junior new clinicians too
0: well i think we have to assume that that at any point in someone's career they're they're doing their best with the tools and the knowledge that they have according to how they've been instructed um you know some people like so you know you go over and above and you say well actually no there's there's got to be there's got to be other other ways here but but when you're talking to someone how do you how do you make sure that they tell you what they think is important
1: um i think asking the right type of questions in just giving someone the space as well i uh, i'm certainly guilty of this i just talk talk and talk and i'll fill a silence and <laughs> that itself is a skill to just ask a question and sort of just leave it there and just wait and wait for someone to because they, they might not have been asked that so they might sometimes people are caught off guard and they think what well, i don't know what's important to me um And if you're suddenly then filling the silence and rushing on to the next question, you actually miss that opportunity, that window where actually if you'd given it 30 seconds and just sat comfortably with that silence that they might actually think of, you know, they know what's important to them. They're the experts. They can tell you, but it's just creating the right environment and um, making sure someone feels safe to tell you. So that's where the rapport building is important because, again, you can't just launch in, I don't think, as a complete stranger and say, tell me everything that's important to you and all your <laughs> sort of private <laughs> – in your private life. So, yeah, so it's important to build that rapport but also um, let them lead the conversation a little.
0: So you, you start by making them feel safe?
1: Yeah, at least try to <laughs> – yeah
0: and have you got a particular way of doing that or have you got particular sort of open questions that you use to create that
1: yeah I think um it's hard because obviously you usually if when you meet someone you're going hi how are you and often that is this you know if people sometimes people are blunt and they say well a silly question like, look where I am <laughs> so again I think humor is important where appropriate of course but um I find humour really does break break the tension because people are often very scared as well if they've recently had a diagnosis or they've recently come into the hospice, depending on where I'm talking to them. Um, and they don't know. They don't know what's appropriate to say or how much they should tell me. Or, you know, they think, oh, you're the physio. I shouldn't tell you that. That's something for the doctor. Or they compartmentalise what's going on. Yeah. And I normally just say, just tell me everything you're thinking. And if I'm not the right person, I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll ask the person that is or I'll get someone to come and speak to you about that. Or... Um and I think being honest as well, uh, that that builds trust if you can say, Hey, I'm not I don't actually know that, but I'll ask instead of just so I think some people <laughs> ignore it or if someone asks something that's quite they'll sort of move on to you know the area that they do know and actually it is important to make sure that if they've bought it up, they've said it for a reason and and if you if you just brush over it, then they probably won't me- mention anything important to you again because they, they think <laughs> you don't care.
0: Yeah yeah so so it's important to you to try and help them to feel that you really care and that you're really there with them in the room
1: yeah i think so and of course you you know you you're, you are a professional you're not their best friend you're not their you know relative so you've got to keep those professional boundaries to a point but you also just two humans sat (laughs) in a room in a tricky situation or, you know, sat on opposite screens on a computer, wherever it may be. I don't think the setting matters too much, but, um, and again, you know, if you're in a room with someone, then yeah, of course there's ways you can sit and ways you can make the environment, you know, close the door, get the privacy, sit beside them, don't stand towering over them. So there's those obvious sort of cues that if you're face to face with someone that you can make them feel more comfortable. But I found that I've had the same, you know, I've managed to have a lot of the same outcomes over a video call. So that tells me actually a lot of it is in, in the questions you ask and the way that you ask them and, and creating that space for people to to talk honestly.
0: Yeah. So you, you must then be comfortable and, and confident with, with this uncertainty because you, you know, you just never know how someone's going to turn up, do you?
1: No, and you see it all, you know. It, sometimes when you create that space for people, you, people get angry, and or they or they um, or, or they get very sad, or some people don't, you know, don't seem to be very emotional at all. And it, it, it's it, again, it's important to just completely neutral in your judgment because you know it might be hard to sort of assume how you think people should behave or how people should grieve or um, those types of things. So mm-hmm. I think it's just sort of within reason so I say it's okay to however you're feeling that is okay you, you just feel it um and then from that often comes that that nugget you're looking for that <laughs> that important thing that that's bothering them or and i used to find that on that platform the macmillan ask an expert i said a lot of the questions i would get that it was interesting to see the time stamps the time the time that they were written and a lot of them would be <laughs> In the night or you know so they were really interesting because I thought well, this is the thing that's keeping them up at night and sometimes it was am I allowed to go on a roller coaster with my child for their birthday or some of the you know can I get in a jacuzzi with my girlmates on a Hendu or things that you might not even <laughs> think about as a clinician so that's why you, you can't make assumptions about what's important to anybody
0: well what what's stands out there is is the fact that you're you're really recognizing if you like their their real life because i think that we can get so hooked up with this being a clinician we're in a clinic you know range of motion mm. pain scores all that stuff which only provides a very small amount of very useful information if any at all mm. you know someone may not care if i can reach up further but actually if i can go on the roller coaster with my kids, that would be brilliant
1: mm. yeah that'd be great exactly no it's really important and the, actually, the other part of my day job, so at the hospice at the moment, because of obviously the way things are with COVID, things have changed quite hugely in terms of how we reach people. Because in the hospice, the visiting is much more restricted, and all the things that we offer people that are what makes the hospice what it is, we're we're limited with. So we're actually going out into the community a lot more, which is not something I've done before, and that's been hugely interesting and, and quite quite hard, really, because you see them, you see them in their own home and you suddenly realise when they said their stairs were steep, like they really are steep. And <laughs> sometimes when you are in your environment as a clinician, you know, in, in the ward or in the hospital or wherever it may be, it's out of context. So, of course, you problem solve as best you can. And like you said earlier, you can only deal with the information and everyone does their best with what they've got but when you really see someone in their own environment it clicks you think ah okay <laughs> i see why that's tricky yeah
0: yeah i mean you you must see a whole range of, of different situations that people are in
1: mm. yeah absolutely um and again it's it's so varied you you have people living on their own you have people living in with huge you know families and lots of family members around both of which offer their own problems or issues and so yeah it really is and that's why it has to be that person has to be at the, the middle of it because if you haven't asked those questions you don't know that information what you're saying isn't just isn't applicable doesn't it it, it doesn't suit their their life
0: yeah
1: so and somehow yeah. you
0: you you do your best to offer what you can offer mm um how do you deal with it when you know your offering is either rejected or you just think well there's this is what i can yeah. do this I can't, and that's that's kind of all i can do here how do you yeah deal-
1: it is hard there's a lot of yeah we've had a lot of that recently actually and it, we had a situation recently where we <laughs> uh me and a colleague we got a a, a wheelchair donation and actually this wheelchair was a very specialist wheelchair, Uh, essentially it solved a a long-standing problem. And we thought, yes, we've solved it. And we went, we literally rushed to the car. We called the patient. We said, we're coming over. And we went rushing over with the wheelchair. We'd cleaned it, you know, thoroughly with chlorine, obviously with everything going on. So we thought this is it brilliant. And he wanted to get outside. So we thought we're going to take, get there. And we're going to take him outside and it's all going to be great. And we barely made it past the front door because he had, a, he lives in a place with lots of family and the family were really not impressed with the wheelchair because it wasn't brand new. It was obviously a donated one, mm. So a complete curveball, and And then we didn't end up doing what we thought at all and actually sort of ended up coming back to work with the with the wheelchair heads, mm. heads hanging low. And we were, you know, you do think, oh my gosh, did, was it us, did, did we do something wrong or um, did we not handle it right? So yeah, we do get those situations a lot, but I think you've just got to, as I, as I said early, sort of reframe it and think about what's going on for that person and why that might've happened. Cause otherwise it's really easy to take it personally and think you're really messed up or, yeah. um, but it's a complex situation. They've got a lot going on and uh, sometimes emotions are sort of directed at you and that is part and parcel of the job. Um, and we're understanding of that, of course, within reason, um, because you can understand:
0: Well, you, yeah, you can, can't you? you? You try to meet them where they are and understand hmm. um, and, and empathize. Um, but but still, you know you're you're offering yourself and you know repeatedly working with people you know in very challenging situations so how do you look after yourself
1: hmm. I am um, I usually again it's a funny old year isn't it we haven't all been able to do what we would normally do but usually I just um I'm very obviously very social I have a big social circle I would spend a lot of time with and um One of my favorite things to do, I I love to travel, of course, uh, uh, as I'm sure we all do. But um, my boyfriend and I found a really fun way of traveling a few years ago. So whenever we get a bit of time, it's what we we do. We do dog sitting and house sitting. So we Mm -hmm. we go all over the place looking after people's dogs and houses and it's sort of become a. Well, it's a hobby, really, but it, it <laughs> you have a sort of online profile. It's almost like another little side business. We've got to get our reviews and we've got to get keep five stars. <laughs> so, yeah, we love doing that. We did, um, before the lockdown and everything happened, we went to New York, actually, and um, looked after this dog that looked like Scooby-Doo, and um, it was in this sort of penthouse flat in Brooklyn. It was a funny moment. We sort of were like, how have we ended up here? This, <laughs> And it's a great way because obviously you stay there for free. So, and we went over New Year's, so it's not normally, that would have been a pretty pricey trip. Otherwise, if you're staying in hotels and things like that. So um,
0: that's a really, yeah. Awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So things like that. I love to, to just, um, yeah.
0: Well, what about but, during COVID though? How, how have you dealt with that situation?
1: Yeah, I think, The main thing from COVID, uh, before it all, I I was someone that definitely couldn't waste a moment. I just felt like I had to be doing stuff all the time. And obviously that's kind of a non-option now. And although I've sort of filled a lot of my spare time with side business and more volunteering and I just kind of, (laughs) I've always been that way, but um, there is a lot more downtime. And I thought I was gonna sort of lose my head with it a little bit, but I've, I've become quite good at it actually. (laughs) <laughs> good at chilling and um lying in a little bit in the mornings at weekends and yeah so um really I haven't been doing I've been doing much less than than normal so I do enjoy yoga I like to do yoga um so I do that at home quite often um but yeah no, I'm looking forward to one week and all go back to uh, you know the usual things I went on a yoga retreat again last before the year before this all happened um and that was very fun (laughs) it was was fun (laughs) yeah it was (laughs) it was yoga and surfing so it was it was it was fun but it was um I think I got in a habit of doing yoga on my own so then uh, it's quite uh, it's an interesting it was an interesting sort of week living. you sort of live in a house and you morning yoga and night yoga and you surf in the day all with the same group. so that was good. <laughs> but uh yeah, I like yoga, but I'm not particularly yogi. I'm not uh, not very good at being too mindful, although as I said, with the lockdown, I do think I'm better at just dealing with what's in front of me as it comes up. whereas before I'd be planning the next five years to 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 the minute. <laughs>
0: yeah Um, yeah so so I mean you 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 like to be on the go sounds like you like you like to be busy yeah how how do you look after your energy how do you keep your energy up
1: I don't know I (laughs) I um as I say I I exercise and I try to eat well and um I get a lot of my energy I think from the, the people I surround myself with so um and of course as I say not face to face so much but I'm always it's I'll always um, every journey if I'm on a bus somewhere or I'm walking somewhere I often walk to and from work in the you know morning and evening and I'll I'll, I'll call someone have sort of <laughs> a rotor, and I'll call someone and sometimes I can feel my friends thinking is everything all right why are you ringing me again but I, do, <laughs> I just it's really it's so important to me my friendships and my family I come from a really big family and um yeah so I think that that's probably where a lot of my energy comes from and if I'm ever sort of flagging I just know that those people will pick me up and I do the same for them so um, and that's I think why I feel so strongly about when people are are, are in a difficult situation and, and sometimes they, it can end you know if someone's had cancer treatment and they're worried about their, their body image or their confidence or they don't know if they can go that far so they just because they get breathless for example or if they have incontinence issues, I mean, the list is endless, but whatever the reason is, it can sometimes result in people sort of taking themselves away from their, their norm and becoming a bit socially isolated. And it it breaks my heart because I just think, I know how important that is to me and it, it can then become this spiral. So it all kind of feeds into each other. I think um, I sort of remember remember that in my work as well, you know, they're not just a case study. They're a person exactly like me and all those things are as important to them as they are, as it is to me. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah.
0: And, and what about professionally? Do you, do you get support that way?
1: Yeah. Maybe- the, the, yeah. The hospice is very good. Um, we have, you know, opportunities to have regular, we have regular supervisions and regular um, reflection sessions and things like that. And it is good. You know, you are supported if something is affecting you because I think sometimes as a professional, you can feel like you can't be upset. Um, and I had a situation last year actually where I was working. I, I do weekend shifts as well um, on an intensive care unit um, where uh, the master where I used to work. And during one of my sessions, a patient actually died unexpectedly and it was quite um traumatic and it feels weird because when you work in a hospital I think people expect you know you're you must be used to that but it's quite different when you go in for something that you think is quite routine and something like that happens so it did catch me off guard and I remember being, I was quite upset about it um but I think I I was managing it quite well and then I went into work on the Monday and my colleagues are lovely and they recognized it and they said at lunchtime we'll, we'll pop down to the pond we've got this beautiful pond in the garden we'll pop to the pond and you can look at the the, the ducklings because I love I love animals and they were like that will cheer you up so down we went and I just crouched down to look at the little ducklings and just this seagull just swooped from the air and took one of them oh. and I was <laughs> and it just hit me over the edge yeah. <laughs> I said I think I think I'm going to take an annual leave day this week so yeah so I think (laughs) I'm quite I try to be quite good at not just soldiering on and and being stoic and and pretending I'm okay Uh, I think I'm quite self-aware and I'm you know I'm not embarrassed to say if I'm struggling with anything so um but I tend to just try and take my annual leave quite strategically Mm. um yeah, and well, at the moment you very know important, yeah. isn't
0: it? because um you know the the profession needs you so, so you looking after yourself is uh is very very mm-hmm.
1: yeah and I think especially this year you kind of feel like you know I, I I realized recently I haven't actually taken that much annual leave because you know you would normally take it to go somewhere and there's nowhere to go so I just haven't taken it and I sort of thought that probably i probably should have sort of sprinkled it out throughout the year a little more but i've I've taken a um taken a few i've planned the next couple of months that way so it does just take the pressure off a little bit and you think right i've got an extra day just to properly recoup and then you can give it your all when you're back at work because i think patients know um and that's uh, the Schwartz rounds is that something have you heard Schwartz rounds
0: no what's that
1: no so I think it, it was an, an American chap who set it up um, and we used to have them, both my jobs I have worked at, they're, they're, they're funded by this charity, I think, Schwartz Rounds, I'm not sure what the charity's called, but they, they fund it in, in um, certain hospitals and places of work where it's an opportunity for people to come and there's a panel, so there'll be a topic, for example, you know, the most difficult patient I've ever had or, you know, a time I felt I wasn't good enough or whatever, the topic may be um, and there'll be three people chosen from the from the place of work and everyone sort of presents a story but it's nice because it's not it's not a problem solving session it's not everyone sort of clinically reasoning anything it's just a place to uh vent really um, and it's obviously completely anonymous and um and it's quite nice because you often just find that everything everything you felt some everyone else has also felt mm. um, And sometimes you don't know that because you're not just going to in the middle of a corridor start, you know, (laughs) um, pouring your heart out to colleagues necessarily. So it's it's quite nice to have a designated time to do that.
0: Yeah. So it's a safe space to to talk Mm -hmm. and you feel that you do that without any kind of sense of repercussions or.
1: yes. And without people, because I think sometimes as well as clinicians, you tell someone something and actually all you want is to just have a bit of a moan and you've already worked out, you've problem solved it already, but you're just trying to bounce your ideas off someone. And, you know, because we we are the way we are, I think you, you always want to come up with a solution. So sometimes when you're just sort of uh, venting or uh, getting your feelings off your chest to a colleague, they might try and come up with a solution for you and that's sometimes not what you, <laughs> it's not what you need or it's not what you wanted or so, they're quite structured and they're brilliant. They're really good. So, we've, yeah, I've had them both places I've worked and they work really well.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds mm. good. So, where can people find you?
1: Um, so, I have a website called um, strongerthan.co.uk. So, that's my private um, online physio uh, business that I was talking about earlier. Um and I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram under the same handle, stronger than physio. So um, yeah, I can be found there and I'm very DMs, everything's open. So I love you know, I get messages from all sorts of people, people going through cancer, relatives of people with cancer, students, physio students, and anyone I'm happy to chat to anyone if anyone's got any questions or
0: great. Thoughts. So they can they can contact you via the those those channels and yes. I'll, I'll put them on the um on the page as well so people can can click on them
1: yes.
0: but um listen it's been fantastic listening to what you get up to your your work's absolutely invaluable um Thank you. and um you know you're going to be inspiring a lot of people so hopefully this will get out and we'll, we'll try and get this out to to as many people as possible and, and students universities and such so that uh, People can have a sense of, of what's possible. Um, so, yeah, great on your work. Keep it up.
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great chatting.
0: Definitely. And uh, <laughs> let's keep in touch.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Cheers. Take care, Hannah. Bye. Bye.